look, if the audio sounds really funky, it's simply because Joshua and Edgar and myself traveled down to the sewers to record this episode because we wanted to, you know, feel closer to the turtles and poop and whatnot. You bet your Welcome to Geekology 101. My name is Raphael. And my name is Michelangelo. And I am Casey Jones. And today we're going to be talking about Ninja Turtle movies. Uh, this is the third entry into our Kawabunga series. Uh-huh. And um, we, we first have a, a little point to address here that is kind of like a middle between movies and shows Mm -hmm. and that is a very strange anime style version of the ninja turtles that was just a two-part episode thing that's why why it's it's not really a series and it's not really a movie so we're just including it here just because we don't want to ignore it Mm -hmm. what was it called again guys it's called like uh ninja turtle superman adventures or something <laughs> yeah has a really um a really strange name and it's uh it's something like uh ninja turtles mutant saint or something it's basically so what it was is that japan wanted to release a new line of toys for ninja turtles mm-hmm. but they wanted to give them slightly different looks and what they did is that they took on a uh, similar approach to like Power Rangers sort of thing, and and they used some elements of the original animation, but they also introduced a completely new style. It was like like um, Wolverine and like Voltron. Yeah. So the the overall storyline basically is that the turtles get a hold of these magic crystals, and these crystals unlock powers in them. And it changes their appearance. They look a lot more humanoid, like more like superhero-ish. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it seems like they're like part animal at first before they use the crystals and everything. If you notice, like Leonardo has like this weird tiger kind of, I don't know, mask before he even mutates. Really? I didn't notice that. Huh. Yeah, I saw it in the intro. I caught a glimpse of it. There's um, there's actually a dark crystal also that Shredder and Bebop and Rocksteady get a hold of, and then and they Shredder, mutate also. They change. He turned into like a dragon. Yeah, looks like a birdish kind of weird creature. Very like nothing to do with Shredder. I know, it, right? To me, it looked like a little bit like Yu-Gi-Oh with Dragon Ball Z put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically mixed a whole bunch of different anime type of uh, things into it, and it was it's very strange. But again, the only reason why it was really created, it was only a two-part thing, um, and it was only created for the purpose of launching that new toy line. Very mm-hmm. similar to how the original Ninja Turtles cartoon in the 1980 was was created for the purpose of making the property kid-friendly, basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that happened. Uh, again, not not completely a movie, not completely a series. It was just, so we didn't know where to put it. So we yeah. put it here. All right, now let's talk about the actual movies. Um, we're going to be talking about one, two, three, four, five, six movies, right? Correct. Yeah, six movies in total. Six of them, five of those six are live action and one of them is animated, but all three were released in theaters, although we feel like some of them shouldn't have been. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the first one we're going to hit on is the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and this is the very first live action film um it was actually released as an independent film 
uh, it was very difficult to get studios to get on board with this property, especially because the only iteration of it had been in the comics and in the cartoons. So bringing this thing to life, giving funding to somebody, to a, to a production company uh, and to a director and to a special effects studio to bring this thing to life, these characters that are basically creatures, they're not like a regular superhero, like the Batman movie or the Superman movie that came around back then in the 80s. It was, they were creatures. And usually when you would see films bring creatures to life, it was for, you know, like villains in the movie, like horror movies or whatever. There were great special effects, animatronics and puppetry that were used for villains. But in this case, the heroes are the ones that needed to be brought to life through animatronics and puppetry. Mm-hmm. So... um it was the film was eventually picked up by New Line Cinema, which up to this point had done uh, mostly horror yeah horror films. They had done the whole uh, Nightmare on Elf Street series and a few other lower budget films, and uh, they took this thing on. And for the special effects and the animatronics and all that, they brought on none other than Jim Henson, mm-hmm. um, the man responsible for bringing the Muppets to life. The Muppets, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so he came on board and he created what was basically the template for the live action Ninja Turtles Mm -hmm. um, for the first three iterations of them. Mm -hmm. So um, the story, what's the story for this movie? Basically, we've got um, the basic origin, which we already told in the in the first episode of Kawabunga. Yeah. And then uh, what happens? You got one of you guys maybe describe what happens in the story. Well, basically, there's a really funny scene at the beginning. Yeah. Where this pizza guy oh, is, yeah. is going. He's, like, delivering a pizza. And he walks into this random area. Yeah. And then he sees a dollar bill stick out of the sewer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what the heck? So he gives him his pizza. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't give him his dollar bill. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, so and, going off of what Joshua said, uh, the actual pizza guy, the Domino's, he actually does Mikey's voice. So he had his own little one-minute role in the movie. And that's actually something that they did in this movie, right? Some of the other voice actors also played little roles throughout the movie. Yeah, the four voice uh, actors, they kind of got spread out throughout the movie. I believe uh, the voice that does Raphael, he's inside a taxi cab when Raphael is chasing after Casey Jones. Um, I'm not sure if it's Donatello Leonardo, but he's actually one of the foot soldiers. So he's in that mix, yeah. Huh, okay. I guess when you're when you got when you got something low budget going on, and again, this movie did basically uh, get released as an independent film, mm-hmm. I, which I didn't know. Right. As as a matter of fact, it came out. It, it ended up being the highest grossing independent film up until what was it? Blair, Blair Witch Project came out. I think it was that we read. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it, it was a hit. It was a hit for sure. And um, the 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 story follows basically. The origins of the turtles, end of Splinter. Um, it introduces the Shredder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it introduces the Foot Clan, and then the battles that ensue as the turtles are really for the first time getting to know uh, Shredder. Also, C- correct me if I'm wrong, right, guys? Like this is really the first time that they're getting to see Shredder. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I think obviously Splinter might have told them about him. Right. But yeah, that's the first time I actually saw him. I'm guessing. And the first time that they fought against them, and they kind of get their butt whooped at mm-hmm. first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which leads them to eventually, you know, figuring out a way to outsmart her, outsmart him, working together, 
Uh, last scene in the rooftop is pretty iconic where they're trying to uh, beat him at first individually and then they have to like really work as brothers. And then they kick him off the building and then Casey Jones crushes him. Yep, essentially doing something that should kill a person. But, um... But it doesn't. Money. Yeah, they need, they need to bring him back for that second, uh, that second Ninja Turtles movie. So... Anyway, so that's the overall uh, story of the movie. It's pretty simple, but it plays out in a, in a pretty cool way visually. So I want to know, what do you guys like about this first uh, film, this 1990s movie? Well, I I like that it um it I like that it um what's the word? I like that it doesn't exactly show the origin of the turtles right you just like kind of hear splinter say the origin of the turtles yeah who is it that he says it to i think it's april right the no it, it's danny oh you're that? right it's danny yeah it's that kid yeah remember that edgar i'm kind of got him mixed up a little bit i i figured yeah. she he had told the april when when they brought her back to the sewer but i don't know if i'm getting cartoons and movies confused I think so. I don't know if he... I don't think he tells it twice, but I definitely remember that is this kid, Danny, who was considering joining the Foot Clan. Mm -hmm. When Splinter is captured and he's, like, shackled up and stuff like that, like, he's the one that he's telling his origin story to. Mm -hmm. Mind you... I just remember Splinter sitting on, like, on the couch or the... whatever it was, a recliner, and him telling the story to when April woke up. But I don't know if I have it incorrect. And all the Ninja Turtles were kind of gathered around just listening to the story. Oh, I think that was in the newer movie. In the reboot, yeah. I remember that in the reboot for sure. Okay. So yeah, I would have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I definitely remember him telling the story to Danny. Um, and so, yeah, I see what you're saying, Joshua, that, you know, basically, like, we don't have to see the whole story. It's Splinter kind of telling it. And another cool thing yeah. is that this movie kind of, yeah, it, it pretty much ties into another movie. There's like a, if you can call it that, there's another animated movie that takes place in the same universe. It's the 2007 one, but we'll get onto that one later. Okay. Because the it's the same Shredder helmet that it's shown. Gotcha. Okay. Well, before that, even there yeah. was there's the Ninja Turtles too. So. Yeah. All right. So uh, Edgar, what did you what do you like about the film? What I like is that it just feels very natural. Like even though the movie was you know, forced into production. Nobody wanted it done. And, you know, thanks to Mark Freeman, he made it happen. Um, I think they made all the right moves. Like, it actually feels like the Turtles are actually part of the real world. And mm -hmm. they did such a great work between the animatronics, the stunt guys, and the costumes that it just flows. And it's a little bit darker than, you know, what we were used to in the cartoons. Yeah. I really love, I really love the fact that even though these guys were in some serious costume, you know, like that was a pretty thick costuming that they had on them and it was covered head to toe right in like in like very rubbery very right like like it changed the whole anatomy basically the whole look of the, of the body so they're in those suits they they have these huge heads going on mm -hmm. and even with all that stuff on them the stunt guys did a really incredible job of making these these characters look agile look you know like they're badass uh martial artists like i wonder how they did that yeah what I, what I thought was amazing was the fact that you couldn't tell the fact that there was two different costumes for each one of the characters oh, oh yeah that too right so they that, had one uh, for the stunts and one for when they were talking and stuff right 
Correct. Yeah. So the one with the animatronics had that 60 extra pounds inside the costume just to maneuver their eyes and their mouth. And then when the stunt guys were fighting, it was a completely different costume. Right. Meant for more quick movement, I get, I guess. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. And, and really, uh, these guys deserve all the credit, the stunts guys, because very easily, like when you look at a film like Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. The very first Star Wars, uh, A New Hope. When you see Darth Vader fighting with the lightsaber and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's all very kind of like slow movements, you know? Ooh. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have a, a large range of motion. He doesn't move around a lot. And then when you see like, you know, um, Revenge of the Sith, the prequels. It's like, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. he's all over the place. I mean, he looks like a professional sword fighter. He's jumping, he's flipping, he's spinning, he's doing like, all sorts of things. The older, like Yoda and Palpatine are, are doing way more quick right. movements than Anakin and yeah. Obi-Wan. And so, and so you really think about it, a movie released back in those days, or, you know, in the 80s and stuff like that, especially if there's a character that has a whole lot of stuff on him, like Darth Vader did, mm-hmm. you're not usually going to see a character like that flipping around and doing a lot of crazy stunts but these guys pulled it off yeah and again this is a movie made in the, in 1990 so they could have easily ended up pulling off some very clunky slow lumbering kind of characters and mm-hmm. instead we got ninja turtles mm-hmm. so i really give them all the credit that's really impressive to me another thing that i love about this movie is the introduction of shredder and the introduction of the foot clan there's that one scene where you see the shredder walking into this room that has several layers and uh, like several balcony layers and you have like all these new recruits for the foot clan standing around and you don't see them in in costume right you don't see them in in the classic uh foot clan outfits or anything like that they're just new recruits right yeah they're just recruits and they're now meeting their new boss basically Mm -hmm. their master and first of all the appearance of the shredder right he's walking in you see him from behind you see the shoulder pads you see the blades you see that badass helmet. I mean, you see him really introduced as this menacing character. And then you see the faces of the Foot Clan, which I think is something so cool that, especially in movies set in the 90s, very easily they could have gone with faceless thugs for the Foot Clan. And instead, they're showing us the the actual process of these people, these young kids being recruited throughout New York City, training to join shredder's army mm-hmm. so i love the fact that they gave that much attention and that one of the main characters to, to forward the plot throughout this first movie is this kid danny mm-hmm. who is being recruited by the foot clan and he has a very interesting conversation with splinter where splinter's trying to basically explain to him like you're joining the wrong side here because like splinter is literally like hung up on a wall like a souvenir or something right for all of them to see yeah so he goes up i think and he's like hey how did that rat get there Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the exact details of how they ended up talking. But again, the point that they're giving a face to the villains, I think, is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love the Shredder's introduction. I love the Foot Clan. That's one of my favorite parts. And I love the darkness of the film. The fact that it didn't go with very campy type of tones like the cartoons have been. Mm -hmm. Uh, That they went a little bit closer to the darkness of of the comic books. Um, it really, it really is a good film, and I, I really want to sit down and rewatch it again from beginning to end because I haven't seen that part specifically in a long time. I think that the second part, which we're going to talk about in a minute, was it drew me more as a kid because it had more flashiness to it mm-hmm. and Vanilla Ice dancing and singing. And go ninja, go ninja, go, <laughs> yeah. go ninja, go ninja. And the first part appeals more to me now, I think, 
I'm more curious about it because it has more of a grown-up tone, more of a serious tone. So, but I feel like it's at least less than the comics, you know, like bloody, like them right. murdering people and stuff. Yeah, they just crush a guy in a trash can, in a trash compactor. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys not like about this film? Anything that stands out? I feel they could have made Shredder even as menacing as he looked coming into there. I feel that like he could have been a little bit bigger because I felt like his costume kind of outpowered him as a yeah. person. It just looked like a kid with shoulder pads. <laughs> also, but, uh, go ahead. Um, I feel like um, they should have made the scar on Shredder's face at least a little bit more intense. More dramatic? Yeah, or else because it, was, it wasn't like... It wasn't that, like, dramatic when right. he takes off his mask. We've seen with, with more modern superhero movies how they manage to make up for the lack of, of muscle in a the lack of bulk in, a, in an actor mm -hmm. through armor. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me that they did a really big, you know, cool-looking helmet, really big shoulder pads, even the, the blades on his, on his forearms and stuff like that. But they didn't have any kind of armor actually on his, you know, his chest area, his Which body area. Which is what area. they do normally now with Shredder. Right, yeah. So I think that that could have solved, that could have addressed at least in a way that the, the point that Edgar was making about, you know, him looking so skinny. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that that gives us a good uh, a good point to now hop over to Ninja Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, which released a, released a year later in 1991. And uh, we quickly discover that Shredder is not dead. Which, Somehow he magically survived I the mean, trash compactor thing. He was crushed by Casey Jones in a trash compactor. Yep, the Shredder survived the crusher somehow. I mean, they need money, but still. Hey, man, that's how it is. Suspension of, of disbelief. So uh, the second movie basically drops us into the same world, just a little bit evolved. It uh, tells a story uh, much closer, much more in detail of the ooze and the mutagen that brought the Ninja Turtles to their humanoid life. That's why it's called Secret of the Ooze. Correcto. And uh, we focus very heavily on the company that created the Ooze, which the name was changed from TCRI to TGRI. How could they do that without no one noticing? It doesn't matter, man. When something goes from comic book to screen or from TV show to screen. Yeah, but it was TCRI in the movie before, which is the same story. I mean, it's the same. Was it TCRI in the first movie? Yeah. Is that even mentioned in the first movie? Yes. Have you ever seen the first movie? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? I've seen the first... And it says TCRI? Well, I mean, yes. I'm pretty sure. All right, I'm not sure about that. How about you, Edgar? Me either. He got me on that one. Yeah, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that they mentioned even the company name, man. Because that company doesn't feature at all in the first movie from what I remember. As a matter of fact, I think that a part of the second movie, the second movie starts off with the Ninja Turtles having to live with April in her apartment. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. 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 And so there's a section, there's a moment there where uh, Splinter sits down the turtles and he talks to them more in detail about their origin. Mm. And part of the origin that he's talking about was where this canister came from, where the ooze came from. And that's actually what introduces T TGRI into this whole plot. So I don't, I really, I could be wrong, Joshua, but I highly, highly doubt that, T that TGRI was mentioned in the, in the first movie. But anyway, TGRI is a part of the second movie for sure. And uh, one of the scientists that worked on the ooze at TGRI, he ends up getting uh, kidnapped by Shredder and the Foot Clan. 
and they're trying to basically force him to work with work for them to create new mutants for them. Taka and Razar. That is correct. Thanks for jumping the gun. And uh, in in this in the, these new mutants that are created are supposed to be like these menacing monsters, and they look like it, mm-hmm. except that they used to they used little baby animals, mm-hmm. a snapping turtle and a little wolf, to create the monsters. And so the monsters, once they're mutated, they end up being babies. Mm-hmm. They're full size, they're full grown. They look real mean, but they're babies. And there's a really funny scene there where uh, when Shredder comes out and he first sees them, and he's kind of like, you know, waiting for them to come out at him, you know, and and to to, to like show them, show him what they what they've got. And uh, instead, they end up calling him Mama. So Shredder is a proud mama. Mama? In Ninja mama. Turtles 2. Mama! Mama! So that happens. Um, basically, there's a couple of face-offs between the uh, Taka and Razar and the Ninja Turtles. At first, I think they get their butts handed to them. And then they have to like regroup and figure out a new strategy. What they end up figuring out is that they're going to create these little, little chewable... Mutagen, reversal mutagen thing. It's called it's called retro mutagen. That, and they put it inside of um. No donuts. Oh. So they put it inside some donuts. Um, they manage to get it to them to the to Taka and Razar, and they manage to revert back their form to the little baby animals. So that's how they take them out. Um, all this happens, by the way, in the middle of a Vanilla Ice concert, and what. Yeah, that's yeah. Welcome to the nineties, man. And uh, when they defeat the mutants, there's a nice moment where Vanilla Ice celebrates with them by basically improvising, like freestyling. Go ninja, go ninja, go. That, and uh, they dance with him on stage. Really, looking back on that, is very goofy, you know. Um, but hey, you know it was the nineties. That's how you did it back then. Then Shredder shows up, and then uh, Raphael or Michelangelo or somebody manages to do uh, this big riff on a guitar, and this gigantic speaker that was right next to Shredder ends up blowing him away and out into some docks. Oh. What? Never mind. And then he has, like, a mutagen canister? Yeah, he had some mutagen on him, and he ends up consuming that mutagen. So, is there anything from the story that I missed so far? Before we get to the last part. You're dead. You're dead, huh? Okay. So then, uh, basically, the the whole thing ends with the Shredder becoming what is known as Super Shredder. I feel like they always have to have Super Shredder. Well, no, they didn't. That was was the very first time that we ever heard of Super Shredder. I know, but after that. Yeah, after that, the cartoons use him to death because, you know, because it's cool. It's a cool version of Shredder, Mm -hmm. I think. I, I definitely liked how he looked. Unfortunately, we only got to see him for, like, less than a minute. Because yeah. very... until he basically killed himself. Yeah, yeah. he took himself out. Yeah, so he's like walking through the bottom of the dock. He breaks a hole on the top layer of the dock. The turtles fall through, and then they see him. Oh my God, it's Super Shredder! They give it's him like, a name right on the spot. Shredder. I mean, Mikey is always the namer. I guess. And then uh, as Shredder's approaching them, basically as they're like walking backwards away from him, he's knocking down all the support beams for the dock. And eventually the dock just ends up collapsing on top of him. The turtles jump onto the water. And, and his they... hands come out. But then but then he just like 
skulls back on underground. Yeah, his hand just falls. So basically, we assume that he is dead. Um, the turtles survive. Everybody's happy. No more mutants are created. And that's pretty much the whole story of the movie. There's some other subplots going on. Like there's um, Raphael ends up uh, teaming up with this. What's his name? Leo? No. Um, what's that kid's name, man? The pizza delivery guy. Oh, what? <clears throat> Wait, so he's not with them when they fight Shredder? No, at the beginning, he kind of like, they, they kind of fight each other, actually. Who? Them and that pizza delivery guy. Anyway, that pizza delivery guy ends up like infiltrating the Foot Clan to try to get information on what, what it is that's happening. And Raphael kind of goes rogue with him. Like, he does that all on the side without the rest of the turtles knowing. And then I think they actually have to rescue Raphael at some point, don't they? Yeah, which yeah. the funny thing is that guy that Raphael, you know, teams up with is actually the one that plays Raphael when he's doing the stunts so i thought that was clever <laughs> that is so uh anyway yeah um i think that pretty much sums up the story part of it what do you guys like about this movie well i definitely think it was a good continuation of the first one okay i like super shatter but it doesn't explain how his armor fits his body if it if his body grew, I, I think based on what I what I remember seeing, like in close ups of 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 that Super Shredder, mm -hmm. it almost looked like if the army and body become one. Oh, that's right? actually what kind of happens in the 2012 series. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it really looks that way because it seems like he has no differentiation between his skin, where his skin ends and the armor kind of like pops out of him, of him mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. I think it's it's kind of and it makes sense based on this mutagen because the mutagen. Pretty much like the common denominator of this mutagen between the cartoons and comics and movies and stuff like that is that whatever it is that you've come into contact with and that is around you, that's what you end up kind of blending with at the DNA level. Oh, yeah. So it kind of makes sense that his armor, which was on him at the time that he took the mutagen, becomes part of him. Mm. I, I really wish that we could have seen more of that because I, I like the look of Shredder, of Super Shredder. But unfortunately, we, we got very little of him. Uh, what else do you guys like? Well, I thought it was uh, great. I mean, we saw two new characters with uh, Rezar and Tonka, and oh, yeah. Super Shredder was great. I like the fact that they used Kevin Nash for the size. Really? Um, yeah, he was a Super Shredder. No way. Uh, yeah. So uh, what? Yeah. yeah, Diesel. Yeah. So for me, that was a positive. On the negative side, it would probably be the lack of weapons, since they were trying to hit more of a kid audience. They kind of right. just put all their weapons away and all they did was carry them and use other objects in their surroundings and for sausages. battle scenes. And <laughs> sausages for nunchucks, yep. Yeah. And what was it, pool toys that, that Donnie was using instead yeah, of... Yeah, these little squishy that? bats to beat up the foot soldiers. Um, <laughs> I mean, if they could have gone somewhere with it, it would have been great. Maybe seeing the continuation of, you know, the following movie, but for whatever reason, that's where they stopped. So you never really saw the secret of the ooze. You're right. Yeah. You you didn't really see what the ooze was created for to begin with. We don't really see the backstory of that uh scientist um that, that is kidnapped for this whole thing. That might have been oh I know. Never mind. Yeah, so uh I think I saw obviously I saw this thing when I was a kid too and, and uh for a long time that was my favorite turtle movie just because again it had more flashiness, I think. Um I love the beginning scene also where everybody in New York is eating pizza 
<laughs> and it's like the most delicious looking cheese dripping pizza that you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And I remember that that inspired me when, when I got to, uh, I lived in New York for a year. And when my mom and I first got there, it was late, late at night. And my mom asked me if I was hungry. And I was like, yes. And I need pizza. I need New York pizza. And she was like, oh, we can stop at Domino's. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need that pizza that the guys are eating in the movie. The one that drips. That is Domino's. The one that drips? <laughs> yeah. No, this one isn't Domino's. In oh. the first movie, they use Domino's pizza. Uh, but in the second movie, it's just people buying like, like at a corner pizza shop in New York, which that real that's New York pizza. Mm. It's yeah. not the kind that you'll go at a Domino's or a pizza. Yeah, we were there last year, and you saw those on every corner. I think it was two slices and a soda for two bucks. Oh, so, so good. Yeah, there's looking. actually there's this there's this pizza shop here in Tampa called um, Eddie and Sam's, oh, oh. which we've been to, right? Yeah, and they their whole claim, Edgar, is that they they make their pizza with New York water. Okay, so they That's actually different. have New York water shipped over to Tampa so that the dough can be made with New York water. Sure, you know that pizza is like massive. Though. It's huge slices. It's New York style, done by like New York, you know, people from New York. Oh man, it is so good. It's it's my so, favorite pizza. So what you're saying is I gotta take that three hour drive to you guys and go grab a slice. Yeah, exactly that. Because you'll knock out two birds with one stone. You get to eat New York pizza <laughs> and come visit us at the same time. Yeah, so it's uh, New York pizza, man. I love how how much it becomes pizza becomes a part of the Ninja Turtles. Because mm-hmm. it's it, when you really think about it, it's the most random thing. Turtles have nothing to do with pizza, mm-hmm. but now they will forever be associated with pizza. But thanks to Ninja Turtles, like, it's so uh, weird. Actually, the the type of turtle that the that the uh, Ninja Turtles are, which is red eared sliders, yeah. it doesn't really show that like the red things on their ears or eyes. It doesn't. But yeah. um, those turtles will actually eat pretty much anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. So I guess they can eat pizza. Okay, so basically in the in the reboot movie, April wasn't like committing animal abuse by feeding them pizza? Nope. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, so let's move away from this one. Let's hop over to Ninja Turtles 3. Uh, turtles in Time, is it called? Yeah. And this was released in 1993, two years later. And my God, this is a uh, yeah. This is where things start going horribly wrong. And this is basically supposed to be a continuation. We see the turtles living in their lair in their cool subterranean uh, subway, old school subway lair. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is another cool thing that I liked about the second movie because they started off living with April in her apartment. And by the time that the movie reaches like the first quarter of of the film. Mm-hmm. April's already going nuts, and she wants to, like, kick him out of there. You guys remember that? Oh, wait, yeah. hey, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, she wants him out of there because they're, like, they're basically using her, her apartment. Number one, it looks like a like a pizza box uh, warehouse because there's pizza boxes everywhere. Number two, they're doing, like, their martial arts training in the middle of her apartment. And number three, they're, they're a mess. Like, they don't clean up after themselves. So she wants him out of there, and that leads him to eventually in the second in that in that second movie to eventually find this this underground. Oh, they get there by mistake, don't they? Yeah, I think Mikey falls while walking the sewers. He falls through yeah. one of the sewer holes or something, and ends up there. Yeah, and so they they kind of hook it up to to be their 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 new home. So that same layer is where we begin in that's, the third movie. That's actually the same. Uh, they live in an underground train station in the series. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. and so basically the the whole plot of the movie kind of begins where April has gone to a flea market, 
and she has picked up a an ancient Japanese scepter thing that is magical and that allows for time travel. If the person holding the scepter in the past is holding it at the very same time, which doesn't really make sense because it's the past and the future, but okay, whatever. The, they're holding it at the same time. They're able to like swap places. So it's not necessarily like time travel. It's like a time swap. Yeah. But you got to be, it has to be like people of equal size or something. It's really weird. And um, that introduces us to the plot of the film, which is basically the Ninja Turtles traveling back to feudal Japan, mm-hmm. where there are samurai, although the Ninja Turtles are ninjas, and the ninjas and the samurai were not necessarily friendly to each other or even related to each other. They were very different things. Samurai were honorable. They were part of, like, Japanese dynasty and stuff. And ninjas were just, like, killers. Yeah, they were assassins. They were not nice people. But anyway, we got the ninjas going back to feudal Japan, cooperating with or, you know, clashing with samurai and stuff. And there's some kind of, like, evil dude who's doing some evil stuff to some innocent people. And they help out with the plot. April finds her way over there, too. And then Mikey falls in love with this other lady. Yeah, Mikey falls in love. Um, Raph ends up really appreciating the way that people loved the turtles back then. I think, don't they call them demons or something like that? They call them yokai. Yokai? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. When the guy gets first teleported back to the turtle time, yeah, I think that's the first thing he calls them, is demons. Hmm. Okay. So... Yeah, the I'm not even going to go too deep into the, into the story of this movie because it's it's very cookie cutter. They go, they kind of save the day, they return, even though Mikey and Raph didn't want to return. Master Splinter does a little dance. Yeah, they get back and they're all bummed out, and to cheer them up, Master Splinter does, Splinter does his little dance. And then that's kind of it. That's the story. So what did you guys like about this movie? I honestly haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? I've seen, like, the first... Like two minutes. Okay. Yeah, you're not missing much, man. Yeah, that would be a tough one. I think the only positive I can find is the fact that they actually changed scenery, you know, from the sewers to April's apartment, like you said, you know, to the actual subway. Right. But other than that, I can't really find. I mean, at the time, yeah, it was great. But now that you get to analyze it more, I find more negatives and positives. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really say that I liked anything about this movie. And I, I mean, I'm talking like way back into, you know, child, my child, Diego, 1993. How old was I? I was born in 80. Oh, I was 10 years old. So 10 year old me was already in agreement with 37 year old me and that this movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I didn't like the movie at all. I felt so, I remember feeling so disappointed by this movie when I saw it, because I again, I loved the first one, I really loved the second one, and I was so ready for more Ninja Turtles in my life. And then this thing came along and just really disappointed 10-year-old me. So I, I think the only other good note on that was the fact that they brought their weapons back. They were back to using their weapons on, like, movie uh, number two. That's so, a good operation. Yeah. yeah, that was a positive. Um, the negative was, I guess, by that time, they, you know, with Jim Henson out of the picture, the turtles were just completely Oof. different. Yeah. You know, their their skin color was a little lighter. It looked more rubbery. Um, they looked super clean no matter where they were. You know, right. they went to the sewer, they fall in mud, and, you know, they come out, you know, clean. So, yeah, that was a whole different look for them. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What did you dislike from what you've seen of uh, screenshots and stuff? 
Anything that you can point out? Well, I definitely remember um, April switching places with this other dude. Yeah. And she, like, goes into, like, Little Japan or something. Mm-hmm. And then the other dude comes into the turtle time. Turtle time. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that's basically all I've seen. That's not really positive or negative. It's just, like... Okay. All right. Yeah, well, uh, as far as me, the negative, again, I, I already kind of hinted at it. I, I really didn't like the storyline. I felt like the storyline, it didn't feel like a movie plot It felt like something that they just had to do to get, like, money or something. Yeah, I guess. It, it really, what it felt like to me, it felt like one of those episodes in a series that are just filler. Where it's like a side story. It doesn't really advance the the, the, the character development of the heroes. It doesn't really tell me anything interesting. I felt like it really lacked a villain. Like there is no serious threat to me. Like in this in this movie, not like Shredder in the first one, not like Taka and Razar in the second one. I really didn't feel like there was any serious threat to these highly skilled mutants, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And that 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 part of it made it feel like more of like a TV thing or a side story than a real plot to a movie. Mm. So let's not waste any more time on this. Let's hop over. Uh, there was supposed to be also a fourth movie, but it never got made. Edgar, I know you got some intel on that. What is it that the first, the fourth movie was supposed to be about? Yeah. So um, unfortunately it was never made, but it would have been a great, you know, runoff of number two, which I don't know why I didn't make it from number three. So number four was supposed to be uh, another movie based on the ooze. So they were going to be mutated for the second time. And it seems like they were going to all go in different directions as far as how each turtle was going to be mutated. Right. Uh, so apparently Leonardo was going to be uh, have the skill to change the texture of his skin. Um, Michelangelo was going to be able to transform into an actual human. Okay. Donatello was going to have telekinesis. And there you get to see the the glasses that he uses in, in the later movies. And Raphael was going to end up being a raptor, which I don't know how those two go hand in hand. Yeah. And and Splinter was just going to be hulked out. You know, it was just going to be Splinter on, on steroids. And unfortunately, it never happened. Eastman even worked on a couple of uh, drawings to have something to go off of. And because yeah, everything got canceled, hmm. they never went through with it. That's a shame. Honestly, that would have felt like a much more natural follow-up to... Uh, to the second movie, just because of the fact that it actually continues playing off with the whole mutation thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it continues the thing. It would have just, like, presumably kept us in New York, not taken us to Japan for whatever reason, and more importantly, not done this whole time travel thing that seemed completely nonsensical. So it's a shame that it didn't happen. Um, that would have been a better third movie. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, hop over to what is... Uh, my personal favorite from all the films, and it happens to be an animated movie, and it came out in 2007. Uh, it's simply titled TMNT. Which I like. Heck it's yeah. not a super long title like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or right. Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So let's talk about the story of this thing really quickly. So basically, this is a loose, loose follow-up 
to the first and second films. Which um, I it basically it puts us into a world where the Ninja Turtles are no longer teenagers necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of did the math, right, buddy? They're like, yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure it says that it was four years later. Okay. Since they're like earlier adventures as teenagers. Right. So they would be about twenty or twenty-one. Yeah, which is interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you maybe nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years of age, and uh, they've gone in in very interesting directions. Basically, Leonardo has left New York altogether, and he's somewhere. I think it's in Central America. Is it? And he and yeah. he's become this like new face. He's like the the ghost of the jungle. Right. He's like helping the people, the locals, against some uh, tribal warlords or criminals or whatever thieves of, of some sort. And he's taken on this more of like a, a predator persona, where he's like hiding in the jungle and in the trees and camouflaging himself and showing up to just take out bad dudes yeah, and then disappearing. Like- he has this, like, robe-type thing and a staff that right. he appears with. Yeah, so he's gone in a very interesting direction. This is one of the things that I love about this storyline in, in this movie, that it really develops the characters. Like, they each go off on their own. They each start doing their own thing. Back in New York, Raph has become, has taken on this cool vigilante persona. He's called, like, the Prince of Darkness or something. Really? I don't know. I feel like he probably has a cooler name than that, but... Okay, well, anyway, he looks really dope. It's kind of like armor that covers his entire body from head to toe. He has, like, a metal shell. Yeah, he looks seriously, seriously cool. So he's doing his thing. He's no longer collaborating with the other turtles, really. He's just focusing on crime fighting and doing it in a pretty ruthless way, you know? Mm Um, he like ties them up to like poles and stuff. Yeah, Michelangelo has become kind of like a, a kids' party entertainer. He wears his big turtle head. His name is uh, Cowabunga Carl. Really? Yeah, that's what they call him. <laughs> he's like, it's party time, kids, with Cowabunga Carl. <laughs> so anyway, he's doing that whole thing, and then Donnie is focusing on his tech skills, and he's become kind of like a repairman, I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so, uh, so again, they've all gone in separate directions. It does feel like Mikey and Donnie are kind of like the ones that are still together, right? Mm-hmm. And Raph is off doing his own thing. Leo's in another continent. So essentially what brings them back is this ancient threat. Mm-hmm. There is some kind of highly powerful dude who has this like squad of highly powerful people. And we see this in an opening scene in the past. Yeah, so basically he finds this like portal to another dimension. Right. And then when he opens it, two bad things happen. I mean, he gets immortal. Yeah. And it also turns his, like, generals and army into stone. Right. And it also lets these uh, 13 monsters, uh, uh, like, roam the earth. Loose? Okay. Yeah. And so this guy is trying to make all this stuff happen, bring back his generals and whatever. And in the middle of that, of course, New York is now again in danger. Mm -hmm. So April goes into the jungles of Central America to try to find Leonardo because she knows that the turtles need to be back together again. Yeah. And uh, she finds him, eventually convinces him to go back. Leo comes back and then Leo basically has to like take on this responsibility of reassembling the Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And uh, he the most challenging one, of course, being Raph. Yeah. And this leads to what is one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie. And I think one of the best pieces of character development. And it's this fight between Raphael oh, and Leonardo. Oh, that happens later on. Does it? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Do they try to first go on missions before they uh, regain Raph? Yeah, they. so they're going on this bridge to like to actually find Raph's vigilante persona. Okay. He's like, we're going to go kick that dude's butt. And then Raph is like, honestly, I think he's a better crime fighter than any of us. Huh, okay. And then, so, 
they see this one of the thirteen monsters yeah. beating up all these foot ninjas, which which the foot ninjas look pretty cool in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like they don't have those like mosquito eyes. Like the beady eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And then Raph actually they don't know that Raph is a vigilante, right? Yeah, they don't know yet. Okay. And so when Leo goes to face off against him at first he thinks he's just facing off against a vigilante, then he realizes it's Raph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this fight is really important because and everything we've seen so far, like in the old cartoons, in the 1980s, 90s cartoons, uh, in the comics, and in the uh, in the first and second Ninja Turtles movies, let's ignore the third one, um, we see this tension that always exists between Raphael and Leonardo. Mm-hmm. Raphael is always the more rebellious one of the group. Leo has the charge of being the leader and keeping the group together and functioning as a cohesive unit. Raph is always like the angry one, the right. mad one. The yeah, one the who more like, passionate one. The one who like always lets his anger drive him. Yep, yep. And so it's like, I, I didn't know that I needed this, <laughs> this fight. I didn't know that I needed, that I wanted to see these two guys go at it. Because you always assume it's like, okay, they're a team. They got to stick together. They got to be brothers. They got to be a team. But it's almost like this fight was cathartic for me as a fan. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I was, needed, it was great because it defined both of the relationships in just one fight scene. Yes, you know, you, you get to see his frustration come out, and honestly, at that fight, I didn't know who to root for. Right, you know, it was like you either go for the leader or do I go for my favorite character? Right, and I, I think it was great the way they showed, you know, the the relationship because every family has conflict, and yeah. that was their way of letting it out. Yeah. I agree. So basically, um, they fight, and then Raph has these other weapons. They're like wrecking balls that like come out of his fist or something. Right. And then so they fight, and then Leo uppercuts his helmet all the way off his head, which, out. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he comes off, and then he realizes that it's Raph. Yeah. And then um, there's this dramatic moment. Raph attacks him. Yeah. And he's about to stab he him. Beats him. Yeah. Yeah, Raph beats Leo pretty much. And then he's about to stab him in the head. Yeah. And then he stops and he runs away. Uh-huh. But then the foot soldiers and the stone guys that the dude managed to, like, bring back to life mm-hmm. take Leo. Okay. So then he tells... So then that serves as motivation, basically, for Raph to reunite with the other guys, with mm-hmm. the other turtles. Yeah. And it's it, it. this is basically what ends up moving the plot along. Like, the turtles end up reuniting. You know, Leo is essentially... Uh, eventually um, rescued and stuff. And to not go with a whole detailed recap of, mm-hmm. of the of the whole movie, let's just say that they end up teaming up finally. They do come together. They settle their differences. And the Turtles are able to conquer this, uh, this villain and all his uh, minions. He's actually not the evil one. His minions are the evil one. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't See, remember He was that. actually just trying to stop being immortal because he didn't want to be immortal uh, anymore. Okay. And okay, he wanted okay. to, like, get the monsters out of Earth. I kind of do remember that. Yeah, now that you mention it. That's right. And he, like, faded away, basically. Right, Like, Daniel right. snapped on him. <laughs> and so, so I, I think this movie does a lot of things it, it tells uh an interesting story a story that we hadn't seen before so it's not like a recycled plot line from the ninja turtles cartoons mm-hmm. or something um it brings in this mystical aspect to the world of the ninja turtles which i prefer that as opposed to the more like interdimensional stuff that happens in some of the other films and i feel like it's a it's a it's a great character story for the turtles themselves it 
-hmm. it further it, it, it evolves them a little bit more as characters and at the end mm -hmm. this is the part that kind of ties into the other movie sort of okay um you see um splinter going up to this like these shelves yeah where they put all their enemies helmets yeah and he puts up the um the dude who faded away mm -hmm. he puts up his helmet and you actually see shredder's helmet from the 1990 movie that's pretty cool that's mm -hmm. cool, it's like cool the actual detail. same helmet that's cool so then like rock comes up and actually puts his helmet on the thing oh his vigilante helmet mm -hmm. <laughs> that's and really then cool. and then like splinter looks at him mm -hmm. and then <laughs> Mikey comes up and he and he puts his mask on there. Oh really? <laughs> the cowboy <laughs> the Carl. That's awesome, man. He's like, can I put this one on there too? <laughs> That's cool, but you see, it's little details like that that make this movie special. Mm -hmm. Because they're they're little gestures that tell a complete story. Because even Mikey had strayed away from who he really was, you know. Mm -hmm. And that little detail, as silly as it may seem, like it, it, it completes the whole story. They've all now surrendered these side these distractions that they had and they've they've reassumed who they really are, you mm -hmm. know, brothers and the Ninja Turtles, protectors of New York, et cetera, et cetera. So uh anything else that you guys like that you guys can say that, that you like? Edgar, you haven't really talked much about the this movie in particular. So what do you I think, think it was great. I mean, it was something it was kind of like seeing the first movie animated. You know, you get to see a yeah. bit of the darkness. The storyline's a bit different. I wish they would have brought the characters, uh, the villains they had in that cartoon into other cartoons, because I enjoyed them. Agreed. Um, I think it was overall, like, you get to, like you said, you get to see everybody's characteristics. You know, the brothers are, everybody sees them as one unit, but every, they all have their own personalities. Yeah. And I think that movie allowed it to, to come out. And you get to see Raphael's frustration, and I don't even think he knew how angry he was with, with Leonardo. I know, right. So, yeah, to me, it was all positive. I mean, if you don't get too technical about the storyline, the movie was great. I wish they would have actually had a second one. Agreed, man. Yeah. Also... I mean, they, they could they could technically still do a sequel to that movie. There's no reason why they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I would actually have to put and this that... movie as my second favorite. Putting okay. number the 1991 first, and then this one. Followed by the other two. Nice. Wait, nineteen ninety or ninety one? Uh, the first one. The first one. Yeah. So nineteen ninety. Yeah. If they made a sequel to this movie, it would technically be a sequel to the other old ones. In a way, but I think the movie stands alone enough that yeah. it, that it could just kind of start its own continuity if they wanted to. Also, Casey Jones in the end battle looks cool. Does he? I don't mm -hmm. remember him in the battle. He, uh, well, April gives him this, like, cool, dark metal mask. Okay. And he has this, like, chest armor. Huh. And he also has his, like, the bag on his back. Right. Where he keeps his baseball bats and Hockey things. stick and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I don't, I don't remember that. And um, I think one of one of the main things that I love about this movie is the animation style, mm -hmm. which is of course worth mentioning because it's an animated movie. It's the only of the animated films that has come out in theaters and stuff, and it's uh, it's dark. It uses shadows a lot. The animation style is not as clean cut and polished and colorful as the one from the 2012 series. Mm -hmm. I feel like it really embraces that darkness while still keeping it as something kid-friendly, because I didn't feel like if the movie was not kid-friendly, you know? Mm -hmm. But it appealed enough to me as an adult that I 
you know, it's a movie that I would watch over and over again. And there so. are also these little details, like at the beginning, Casey Jones breaks a lamp or something. Okay. And then, like, the door shuts, and April's like, Casey, please don't tell me that was you. <laughs> and then at the end, the foot soldiers were chasing them into the same exact building. Okay. And Casey's like, you break it, you buy it. And he <laughs> smashes the same thing yeah. so that it can close on the foot soldiers. <laughs> That's cool. It's like the, the details. Yeah. Are like the best thing. Yeah. And that all comes from the writing too. Mm -hmm. So you got to respect the writing that, that, that came up, the, that was done for this movie. And I wish that, you know, similar writers would have worked on the next movies, which are the reboots. Um, and we've got the first, uh, the first movie in this rebooted, um, live action film series happening in 2014. By this point, Nickelodeon had already, uh, basically already owned the property of Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. They had hard, they had already started the, the series, their first series of right. Ninja Turtles. The 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you could tell based on some of the decisions that they made with taking the characters and into like these very unique looking directions visually the character designs mm-hmm. uh you could tell based on the tone of the movie that it was definitely something that was targeting kids primarily um and uh the storyline basically tells retells the origin of the turtles and one of the origins that we discussed in the first Kawabunga series episode basically where um april is involved with them since she was a little girl She's the one that names them and Splinter. She um, feeds them pizza. Feeds them pizza. And uh, later on, they re-meet each other as when they are teenagers, even though they look huge. So, you know, I don't know how teenager teenagery they look to me. But they are teenagers. She's, I guess, in her early 20s, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And um, they reunite. She realizes that these are the turtles from when she was a little girl. Her dad used to work with the main one of the main villains of the of the of the movie, who was like the head of this uh, you know research organization or whatever. They're the ones that are, that are responsible for injecting the turtles and Splinter with the ooze, with the mutagen. Not really ooze, right? It's. I don't think it's really ooze in this movie. Yeah, it's just like mutagen. It's <clears throat> yeah, like it's liquid. just mutagen. Yeah. So um, basically, they are trying to create biological weapons, muted, muted, muted mutated weapons for the foot clan because this guy is secretly working for shredder in the foot clan oh yeah and when when he meets the turtles he's like and we were gonna use rabbits yes a imagine, little... <laughs> a call out to what is the guy's name again uh, uh something jimbo jimbo, jimbo. jimbo. that yeah that guy it's which like... is, which i love i love that character man that mm-hmm. rabbit samurai rabbit it was so like imagine if it was like Teenage Mutant Rabbit. Wait, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Rabbits. Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Rabbits. <laughs> that would go ring to it though. I- I'd watch that. Yeah. So yeah, um, basically we we get introduced to Shredder in this really cool scene where he like willingly ties himself up to to to, to a chair, and then he has his own men attack him as part of like a training exercise, mm-hmm. and he has to free himself from the chair and defeat the guys, and he does it without a problem. We always see his face in shadows. We never see his face fully illuminated, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And this whole this whole introduction makes him seem so dark, so menacing. And, like, this guy with no armor or anything could probably go and fight the turtles and kick their butts. Mm-hmm. But then we never get a payoff for that. Because the Shredder that is introduced later on in the He's movie... He's basically Super Shredder. No, it's basically, like, Mecha Shredder. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like this robotic looking thing. The armor is just an exaggeration of robot parts. He shoots the blades and the and blades come back to him. It's like yeah, right. it, it was a Shredder meets Transformers. That's yeah, pretty much. That's what it was. Yeah, like you know, you know how when like Transformers toys do like mashups? Yeah. Yeah, like it basically was that. Like Transformer mashups, like uh, a Transformer version of another character. Mm, yeah. So, like, maybe it's a Batman Transformer that transforms into a Batmobile, and then the robot form is, like, this exaggerated form of Batman, robotic. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that. And you, you basically don't see any human parts at all to this character. Like, you, it's a humanoid shape, of course, but there is not a single shred of skin of anything that think, makes me feel like this is a human. I that. think if you concentrate a little bit, you might see his eyes. Really? Maybe. I, I thought he couldn't even see that. What you see in the sequel, actually, in Out of the Shadows... It's is, much more, is, like, calm. Well, it's much more like what I wish I could have seen in this first movie. Like, I wish that he would have shown up in that armor, in that suit that he wears in the second film, mm -hmm. in this one, and that, that is how we see him first. Maybe the armor could have been introduced in the second film for him to, like, you know... Take it up a notch because uh -huh. the, the turtles beat him in his first form. Do you that think they they kind of screwed themselves over making the turtles so big that that's why they gave Shredder that that? That's know, a really robot. good observation. That's a really I mean, good observation. That makes I mean, sense. If you look at the cartoons and everything else, Shredder usually a little bit bigger than the turtles. But yeah. here it's like you put the human Shredder against the turtles, and they're like almost twice its size. Very true. That's very true, especially Raphael. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you would have had Raphael facing off against against Shredder at that size. But then again, how tall is he in the second movie? In his, you know, more toned down form. Shredder? I can't remember. Uh, Shredder doesn't look any bigger than 5'6", than 5'8". Five, five, really? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Maybe that's why they, they made that creative decision of, of amping him up that way. But I, I just feel like it's a shame, man. I, I would have... I could have believed that if the guy was badass enough at martial arts, that he could have actually defeated the turtles in that form that we saw him in the second film. In in the I would have, I would have preferred to suspend my disbelief in that way than to like have to deal with this like what the heck am I staring at here? Like you know this dude is is a robot. In in the first yeah. film, yeah, uh -huh. I could like barely tell that he was doing martial arts. It looks like he was just like right trying to fight right like, well trying. i mean when you can shoot these like magnetic you know knives that come right back to you, you you don't have to do many much martial arts yeah stand from a rooftop and shoot the heck out of those knives to to, to, to whoever you're fighting yeah this is weird anyway so the turtles eventually defeat him before he uh executes his mass plot which is like spraying mutagen out into all of new york city which is one of the most like played out types of villain plots ever out? Yeah, every villain wants to spray something on New York City to poison them or kill them or turn them into something. Like oh, yeah. the Amazing Spider-Man did that with the lizard. The lizard was literally trying to turn all of New York's New York City into lizards, mm -hmm. and he was doing it from the top of a building from this machine that was going to spray it. Spider-Man video game wasn't that what Doctor Octopus was trying to do? Yeah, he was trying. Oh to yeah, he was trying to spray all the devil's breath, there you and go. he did actually. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Suicide Squad, uh, Enchantress had this gigantic building with this huge portal of stuff that was gonna like destroy the whole world and turn everyone into like henchmen. Correct, into those bubbly, multiple-eyed creatures. 
and now here again, we have the Shredder trying to spray some stuff on New York. So, yeah, uh, very, very played out kind of villain uh, plan. And uh, the fight scene was kind of cool. Turtles have to work together eventually. They do this little hopping game that they used to do back when they were kids. They defeat the Shredder. They fall off a building and uh, Raphael is scared of heights. Yep. Let's combine this with Out of the Shadows. So we've already mentioned a couple of things. And then let's let's talk about what we like and dislike about, about this series. Because now we know that this is ending, basically. The series of movies. Uh, in Out of the Shadows... We basically have the turtles coming out of the shadows. They have to reveal themselves to humanity. They have to, for the first time, cooperate with the police department. Um, we introduce Casey Jones in the form of Stephen Amell, the Arrow. Which, um, he's basically uh, Green Arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Basically Green Arrow with hockey sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how you guys, how you guys feel about that. But uh, anyway. Um, uh, his mask kind of looks sort of original. Yeah. It's like. It- it's like I, a mix. Is it? Yeah. I couldn't see him as anything else other than the Green Arrow. It was hard yeah. to picture him as Casey Jones. Very hard. Very hard. Plus, his, you know, as far as acting chops, you know, he doesn't have much range. So he kind of like, he just acts as himself, really, you know? So, yeah, that happened. He teamed up with April. I guess, did they fall in love? I can't remember. Mm, not so much. fall in love? No? No. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, as far as the rest of the plot, we have the introduction of Bebop and Rocksteady. Let's Which, not talk. Let's not talk about our thoughts yet. We'll leave it for the, for for just a minute. Okay. Uh, we get Bebop and Rocksteady introduced. Uh, they clash a couple of times with the turtles. One of them is this crazy, larger than life scene uh, that starts off in an airplane and eventually ends up in a river with a tank. <laughs> you know, that's Michael Bay movies right there for you. Like. Starts in the air, in an airplane, crashes, river, tank. I mean, all sorts of craziness going on. Eventually, we get the Krang thrown into the mix. We get interdimensional transportation of the Technodrome, reassembling it from its from its pieces. Uh, Shredder turned into some kind of statue. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff that goes Krang on in this movie. Krang freezes Shredder, actually. Freezes him? his collection. Okay, yeah. What is the plot of this movie, guys? Do you that, guys... They're, that they're, I guess, trying to stop three villains? The ultimate thing is basically the Technodrome being built, right? Yeah, yeah and it was just coming from Dimension X. And I think that's the main plot of the movie, just Crank trying to get Dimension X in there. And I think they were just trying to force everybody in there at once. You know, Bebop, Rocksteady, Crank. You know, Krang, too much Krang too soon. And what the what the Foot Clan and Shredder and Bebop and Rocksteady are doing is that they're gathering pieces that they that are needed to teleport the, the pieces, right, of the Technodrome. Correct. Okay, yeah. So that's a plot because I know that they have to go to like a museum and get the specific thing from some kind of meteor that had fallen, and then they have to go to I think uh, Baxter Stockman's uh, company has another piece. Baxter Stockman. Yeah. Baxter. Yeah. yeah, I so, believe they needed three to put together to open that one portal. Yeah, it really sounds like the plot of a video game. Yes. Right? Like, it, it's so video gamey. I feel like having just played a, a movie, a, a video game like Spider-Man, mm-hmm. even that is superior to the plot of this movie. Because mm-hmm. it gives us so much more character development along the way. But this movie just feels like, okay, we need to get piece A, piece B, and piece C. Boom! Technodrome! Quick! Let's stop it before it comes through! We stopped it. Movie ends. Like, that's... Kinda no. And then Splinter yeah. dance. You summed it up in ten seconds. Yeah. yeah. And Splinter does a little dance. He dances again in this movie. 
No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a much different splinter in this one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about these two movies. What do we like? What do we dislike? Go, Edgar. Uh, at this point, I can't even really tell them apart, to be honest. They're just blended in as one. Yeah. Um, I like the part where, well, not the part, but the fact that they kind of separated Raphael from the rest of the group at one point, and he's the one that has to rescue his brothers. I, I do like that. that. Was, I believe that was in part one. Yeah, it was. Um, I, lo I love the fact that he was willing to face off against Shredder by himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, was... Anything that just separates Raphael from the rest of them, I enjoy. Yeah. Because I like to see him just on his own. Uh, the fact that they brought Bebop and Rocksteady in there, you know, because pretty much anything you watch, you expect them to be there. Yes. I think they did a great job, and they threw in Seamus on top of it, so that's a plus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Seamus! <laughs> I love the character design. They really, like, they, it really feels like the ones from the cartoons brought to life. It's just, like, classic. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Why they couldn't do that with Shredder, you know, in the first movie, it's beyond me. I guess maybe because of what you mentioned before. But if they could do it with Bebop and Rocksteady, come on, man, shoot. You know, do it with the rest of the characters. Mm -hmm. They did a nice job with the Krang, with Krang's design, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think he was great. I think he was a lot better than than some of the other ones I've seen. I, they just went exaggerated with him, which I think, coming from Dimension X, that's kind of expected. Yeah. You know, it's something completely different than being on Earth. So as far as him being over the top, yeah, I enjoyed that part. I'm yeah. not used to Krang being, like, a huge... Like, just one, just one alien. And oh, like, because of the 2012 series. And, like, his body yeah. is, like, huge. It and is. half of the time, he's not even inside his body. He's just, like, outside controlling right. it. Yeah, yeah. We, me and Edgar, because we grew up with the 1980s, 1990s cartoon, like, that was Krang right there. That was just him? Yeah, Krang was always in, stuck inside, with some exceptions, where he did, like, this little thing with legs, like, this little container thing with legs. Oh, yeah, tentacles? No, not even tentacles. They were just like robotic legs from what I remember. Oh. Right, Edgar? Yeah, he was like in a fishbowl with legs pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But aside from that, whenever you saw Krang, he was inside of that of that robotic body. So you got so used, we got so used to, to associating Krang with that big robot body mm. that it was, for me, it was really cool to see him come to life like that. Again, they did add a lot of detail. Maybe I could have done with, well, I don't know. Like Edgar says, like I, I think that it, it kind of makes it seem more believable. It's this huge technology coming from another dimension. So, yeah, the, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. In the 2012 series, a really cool feature. Yeah. If you if you destroy the Krang's robot body. Yeah. Uh, the the Krang's actual body, the like slimy pink brain, uh -huh. it actually comes out and it just like runs away. <laughs> like sl slithers away. It, it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And then again, uh, talking just about character design, I also love the fact that, you know, Shredder looked more like Shredder mm -hmm. in this movie. I really like how he looked. Um, so anyway, yeah, back to you, Edgar. What else did you like? Uh, what I didn't like was Megan Fox on the Green Arrow. I just couldn't see either one playing the April or Casey Jones roles. It just oh, wasn't yeah. working. The yeah, Megan, Megan Fox, I feel like it was just eye candy, just, you know, uh, beautiful casting and again you saw the same thing happen pretty much with with transformers mm -hmm. where it's like why did megan fox have to be in the Transformers? she really didn't play an important role she was in transformers yeah but it was it was just that because she's beautiful to look at and you know it, it would get more guys to go watch because it's another megan fox movie you know mm -hmm. but i don't think it was necessary i don't think she was necessary at all i would have really liked um like what we've seen april's character uh take on in the cartoons 
where she's more of a badass, you know, like she, mm-hmm. she actually plays a role. She fights, she trains herself, you know, mm-hmm. um, she was like that in the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. In the 2012 cartoon. Oh yeah. I thought I'm talking about the other one. No, no. Well, uh, even yeah. in the 80, 87 one, like she had her moments where like she was willing to get in there. I mean, they always had to rescue her, but she tried. She tried getting in there. Megan Fox you know, couldn't do that. You know, you know the the how they how they treated Mary Jane in the Spider Man um, uh, video game. Mm, like she actually did her own like solo yeah. mission. Yeah, like she went and she investigated. She was like she became kind of like a detective, you know. Mm-hmm. And she helped Spider Man. Like she legitimately got herself to be called at her his partner you know spider-man don't you mean spider cop exactly so um yeah yeah i, I really didn't like the the april neil character in this one either um also what's her friend's name irma the, no man the guy who's the, who's always like after her because he has a crush on her well aren't it vernon vermin yeah. vermin <laughs> vernon it's well aren't it's, it that guy, man, was so annoying to me. I, I didn't see his point of being there. I, I didn't see what it was about. Especially in the second movie where he's, like, apparently, like, a hero and everybody think, thinks very highly of him. I oh, just... yeah, he's, like, they think that he was the one who stopped Shredder. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, it, it, it was so unnecessary, man. Again, it just, if that's where the Michael Bay style of filmmaking to me, and I don't know how much influence he had over the actual direction, because I know he was producer in this movie, I, I don't know if how how involved he gets with the directors that are actually leading the the char- the cast on camera, but it feels like a Michael Bay movie in that sense because Michael Bay throws in so many unnecessary characters into his movies. Again, just look at Transformers. How many characters within the Transformer franchise are completely unnecessary to the plot of the film? How much more screen time? Bumblebee. No, no. Bumblebee's a little bit different. That was that was a uh, that was a good direction that they took. But how many, if you took out Vernon and you made, and you gave more screen time to April O'Neil with a better actress in play to actually give her some gravitas, some, some, some good character development and give more screen time to the turtles, you know, take away all this other filler, take away all this unnecessary stuff that, that is really there just. But what if some of the uh, unnecessary stuff is funny? Like when, like when Mikey was up in the bleachers and he dropped pizza on the thing, and then the one of the basketball dudes stepped on the pizza. Here's my thing, man. I have now seen 21 Marvel films that have managed to make me laugh without sacrificing good storytelling. So you can't tell me that a film that focuses on character development can't also be an entertaining and, and funny film. And you can't tell me that it can't be a film that will appeal to kids. Because if we watch Guardians of the Galaxy, don't you enjoy that film? Yeah. Heck yeah. You know, and, and name any of the other films that, that are more like humorous. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. That movie's freaking hilarious. Mm-hmm. And yet it still manages to evolve Thor's character. It manages to evolve uh hulk's character which is not easy to to do he can actually like sort of speak when he's in hulk form right it manages to tell to further the story of asgard Mm -hmm. right it manages to tell us give us even more interesting stuff about loki about uh about odin it manages to do so many new things while it's introducing new characters while it's giving us incredible action sets action pieces and moments that is, I think, the Marvel film that I have watched the the most times 
which is crazy considering that there's 21 of them Thor and, and a lot of them are great. Yeah. That yeah, here, here it felt like they were setting up the joke. Like they needed a full scene, many different actors just for that one comedy. In the Turtles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. they go out of the way just to go to the the basketball game to set them up with this, you know, yep. irrelevant guy, just for it to be funny for one one or two scenes. Yeah, instead of just making the humor kind of follow the story thread, so that you don't have to take these distracted, you know, these distracting routes. Correct. Yeah. Again, there's enough samples already of 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 well placed humor, good storytelling, amazing action scenes that don't have to fill and be stuffed with all these characters that add nothing to the story. And I feel like that to me is probably the most annoying part of, of these two films that there was way too much of that. Uh, and the, and then of course the other thing is that the, the action, it doesn't feel at times like it's centered around the skill set, the ninja skill set of the turtles. It feels like it's more important to do crazy camera angles and following, you know, a whole bunch of stuff happening, flips and things turning and falling and descending. And, you know, the car, the car, the, the chasing on the side of the mountain, the snowy mountain. You remember that? Yeah. Cool scene, you know, but I feel like <laughs> there's too much writing on that to make them to make the film cool. I feel like I needed more straight up martial arts from the turtles. And, guns. And the, they have guns. Even a little bit less than than what we got, you know. I don't know. Yeah, that kind of threw me off too when you know Raphael apparently is bulletproof. Oh yeah, they discovered that they're bulletproof. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I think that's just because they're shells, though. I know, but Raphael has a whole bunch of duct tape on his shell because he's clearly cut himself. So how did that happen? He can stop a bullet, but he can't like stop a what? What? What broke his shell? A knife. Could it be a oh, knife? Calling off his skateboard. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of that was a little bit inconsistent right there. Oh, he has duct tape on his shoe. Yeah, you never noticed Raphael's thing is that has a whole bunch of duct tape. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, too much over the top, I think, and 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 very little in the in the character development department. I know that for the first movie, one of the challenges that they had is that they they had to measure out, they had to like. Uh, budget out the amount of time that the turtles were on screen because of how expensive the CGI was. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we see very little of the turtles actually on screen. And the times that we do see them on screen, they have to make it very action-packed and fast movements and stuff because that CGI doesn't have to show us a lot of detail. So the stuff that is more blurred out, mm -hmm. they're able to get away with, with, with showing more of that because it's cheaper to make. Mm -hmm. Versus like just the turtles on screen talking to us Getting conversation, getting character development, that part would have cost them much more money. Uh, they did have a bigger budget for the second one, so there's no excuse there. But it looks like in there, they were just trying to toss everybody and their mothers into the freaking film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Casey Jones and the useless guy and then April O'Neil and then Shredder and Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady and Dimension X. You don't want and... Bebop and Rocksteady in this Good thing? grief. No, yeah, but drop the Vernon Vermin guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, that's that. That was those movies. Um, we know already that uh, there there have been plans to continue the series, but apparently they didn't make enough money to their satisfaction to be able to justify another sequel in this current um, continuity. So the movies are going to once again be rebooted. Uh, I'm sure that COVID-19 is delaying everything when it comes to production of whatever reboot 
was going to happen. So I guess we'll just have to see in the next couple of years what direction they take it in. They did say there's a quote out there from one of the uh, makers of the, of these films that the new the reboot is going to be what was it that we read? It was something like next level. Yeah, that it was going to be next level stuff, which. I really hope that by next level they don't meet like next level action pieces and action scenes because oh my it's god, still the same producer. Right, right. So I really yeah. hope that they take a different direction. I yeah, I hope they don't continue different. sacrificing so much of you know the storytelling. You know, yeah. in this case, just to give them what their contract said about you know agreeing to three movies of the turtles. Right. I, I hope that's not the case. But we'll have to wait and see. If you guys had to pick your top three from all the Ninja Turtle films, which ones would they be? Go, Joshua. Mine would be the first one. Uh-huh. Um, the 2007 one. Okay. And... That's where the toss-up is. <laughs> oh, wait, no. The second... The second... Second reboot, the 2016? No, the second original... Oh, The Secret of the Ooze. Yeah. Okay, 1991, all right. So, number one original, number two original, and 2007 original. But which is your top one? Probably 2007. Okay, gotcha. What about you, Edgar? I would have to go with his first two, which would be 1991. Yeah. Um, The 2007. Okay. And... Just because I have to choose a number three, uh, I probably would have to go with Secret of the Ooze. Even mm-hmm. though, uh, yeah. I mean, if I could, I would just sacrifice all of them and go with, you know, Turtle Forever, the cartoon movie version. But <laughs> that's a whole different other thing. Okay. Mine would definitely be the top spot is 2007. That's, I think, my favorite Turtle film, period. Um, number two. Number two and three are the 1990 and 1991. Um, the order, I'm not fully sure. I want to go back to watch the 1991 again because I, I haven't seen that one in quite a bit. But yeah, it's those two for the for the two and three spot. And you know, as much as they tried to, you know, as I liked the how much personality they gave the turtles and stuff in the reboots, the the poor storytelling, <clears throat> unnecessary characters and all that stuff, and the crazy schizophrenic accent pieces, uh, just threw me off so all right so i think that's a good place to end the episode um for all of you guys out there listening thanks for sticking around while we figure out our audio uh challenges too we've been testing out a few different things as you guys know if you've been listening to the podcast this is the first time we have a guest on here Mm -hmm. and we're really enjoying recording with edgar and it's also giving us an opportunity to do some trial and error when it comes to the audio. So, Edgar, thanks for your patience, too, as we're trying to figure out the best way to do these interview episodes. And um, so, you know, forgive us if we end up sounding a little bit different in the next one. <laughs> we're just trying out different things to see what what works best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having said that, if you guys uh, have any any comments or any Uh, suggestions on what else to add for the Cowabunga series. Uh, If you have any comments on the movies, we'd love to hear which are your top three from all the movies that have come out so far for Ninja Turtles. You can write us at G101podcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at G101podcast. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of the Cowabunga series and give us a review and rating. It'll really help us get in front of more audio listeners 
Um, with that said, I think uh, we're good to go. All right, guys? My name right. is Michelangelo. And I have been Raphael. And I am Casey Jones. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Cowabunga! Game over.